Hello and welcome to the Cowboy Jesus Podcast. This is Steve Poos Benson. I'm the host of this podcast. And I always say that uh, the Cowboy Jesus Podcast rides the rodeo of religion and life. We cover all different kinds of issues regarding religion and faith issues and spirituality, but also issues of life. I have a fun podcast for you today. I have a good friend of mine and a church member, Renee Kessler, who has just written a brand new book called Unflappable. It's a great book on leadership. We're going to talk about that. But I also want to have Renee just talk about her life in general and leadership, as that's one of her big uh, themes of her life is leadership. Now, I want you to be mindful of the fact that we are both wearing masks. We're being careful about COVID and COVID safety. So turn up your volume a little bit so you catch everything that we say. And we're going to be trying to hug the microphone here. So we come across as clearly as we can. Renee, it's great to have you here. Oh, Renee, let's start by this. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Kind of who you are, what you do, just a little bit of your bio. Who are you? Sure. Thanks, Steve, for having me on, first of all. Yeah. Um, okay, so I grew up in Illinois and uh, never saw a mountain before in my life and had an opportunity as a young person to while well, I was in college to travel across the country with 13 other strangers, uh, students, and to spend a month in the wilderness in Wyoming. Um, and that's where I climbed my first mountain. And that first mountain experience made all the difference in my life. I am now soon to be 66, and I climbed my first mountain October 1st, 1977. And that mountain experience was so transformational for me that it set the tone and the direction for the rest of my life. And we'll talk more about that, I think, in, uh -huh. as, as we uncover more of my background. Uh, but since then, I am a retired professor of outdoor education and environmental education at a university in Virginia. And I retired there almost four years ago and then came to Colorado. I live here with my partner, Eva and um, decided that I was not done. Uh, I don't believe I have a finish line, and I have a lot going on in my head, in my heart, that I can't just do the traditional retirement. So I decided that I would begin a business coaching profession, along with speaking, and also, in between times, write a couple of books. And as Steve said, my latest book is on flappable leadership lessons and climbing mountains. And I start talking about that very first mountaintop experience in 1977 in the beginning of the book and continue to unpack the book with many other mountain experiences and what I learned about leadership from climbing those mountains. So, um, I'm having a good time, and if I wasn't having a good time, I would not be doing the kinds of things that I'm doing. But as I said, I don't have a finish line, and I, I enjoy what I do, and as long as I feel as if I'm giving back to the world in some way, and uh, other people are benefiting from it, uh, I'm, I'm in it for the long haul. I love it. I love the notion of no finish line, because you know, I'm thinking about my own impending retirement, and people say, you know, that you retire when you're 65. And I'm kind of going, why retire? I'm having so much fun. I just, I don't see a finish line. I just, you know, if I'm not doing this, I'm going to be doing something else. I'm just, my world mm -hmm. is opening up now more than ever before. 
And so when I hear about you and your mini adventures, I keep on thinking, yeah, why stop doing fun, wonderful things in, in your quote-unquote retirement? I don't <laughs> plan on retiring. But let's back up. Yeah. I want to talk about some of your climbings, mm -hmm. some of your climbs. In your book, Unflappable, you talk about all the many uh, places you've been. You've trekked Nepal five times. Talk a little bit about your treks in Nepal. Yeah. Well, um, you know, the biggest mountain in the world is in Nepal, and right on the border of Nepal and Tibet. And that's Mount Everest. And I've always been drawn. I've been a sort of a chaser and climber of mountains for many, many years. And I wanted to see Mount Everest. So in the late 90s, I traveled to Nepal by myself. I was on a sabbatical from my university to look at the environmental degradation of the more popular trekking routes in Nepal. That was going to be my research. And I giggle saying that, but I, I, I was keen on and interested in, in learning about what's happening to all the trash buildup at Mount Everest Base Camp and certainly the other popular trekking routes in Nepal. And uh, so I went there, saw Mount Everest, went to Everest Base Camp, and I thought, oh, I'm going to have to go back to my university and bring a group the following year, in which I did. And it was an amazing trip. And I just am drawn to the culture in Nepal. I, I love the Buddhists and Hindu melding of their religion and the respect of each other's religion as you trek about and travel about in, in the country of Nepal. And uh, the people are genuine. Uh, and so I'm drawn to not only the biggest mountains in the world, but also the culture. And uh, there I'm do believe that there'll be another trip. <laughs> well, tell me about your late, I think I think it was your latest. I mean, you climbed a huge peak just a few years ago. Mm -hmm. You were 60-something. Mm -hmm. You climbed a huge peak without oxygen, a very technical climb. Talk about that. I mean, when you told me that story, I was like, oh my <laughs> gosh, I so could not do this. Tell me about that. Yeah, it, well, when I first went to Nepal, my trekking guide pointed out a peak to me way off in the distance. He said, that's Island Peak, and you could climb that peak. And I said, well, how high is it? And he said, it's 20,300 feet. And I, my eyes got really big, and I thought, yeah, I, can, I don't know about that. You know, I've never climbed anything that big before. Well, that was in 1998, and I decided after I retired that, that it was a, an itch that just needed to be scratched. It's one of those things where you keep having, you have something that keeps nagging at you for years and you don't do anything about it. You don't think it's really serious. It keeps coming back, but it goes away and then it keeps coming back. That was the, this climb of Island Peak. So I decided uh, in 2019 to uh, head to Nepal and itch this scratch or scratch this itch, I guess. And um, I went with two other people. I invited a couple other people with me, someone who was half my age, a former student who was 31, and then a, a buddy of mine who was about my age in his 60s. And off we went. And uh, we had a climbing guide. And my friend who was my age uh, wasn't feeling well, and we decided uh, to leave him behind at the base of the peak, and off we went. And uh, it was a, the hardest thing I'd ever done. Physically, it was 
uh, extremely demanding, not scary, but I didn't recognize my will before that because it was so hard physically. And there's only 9.7% oxygen available at 20,000 feet. So I was trying to capture as much oxygen as I could. My breasts were deep and my breasts were rapid. And in, in order to keep up with the exertion required, I had to keep breathing really quickly and deeply. And uh, got to the top and I laid my upper half of the body over the top and I said, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. And then I stand up on the summit and I said, thank you, Lord. Oh my gosh, I, I can't believe I'm at the top. Um, and so it was a dream. It was a 20 year, uh, yeah, 20 year plus dream that kept nagging at me that I was so happy to actually pursue and fulfill. And, um, you know, it's, it, the sky is such a sapphire blue and uh, being at the top was just amazing. So I'm going to emphasize something. How old were you when you climbed that peak? 63. All right, everybody up off the couch. <laughs> Put the beer down, <laughs> put the paper down, get up outside. You might not be able to climb a peak, but you can definitely go for a walk around the block, hike in the foothills, get active and get after. What did, what you, we talked a little bit when we were talking about the podcast as far as like you, you climbed Rainier. Mm -hmm. What is the most technical, difficult climb you that you've been on? I would say Island Peak. Was oh, the, the one that you just yeah. got done. Yeah. Now, uh, the Grand, uh, the Grand, I mean, Rainier is technical, Mount Hood is technical, but, but uh, the Grand Teton is several pitches of rock climbing. It's not snow and ice, it's not mountaineering, um, but it's, it's technical. You, you know, you have to, it's an average climb and you're extreme exposure, but, um, yeah, but it's fun. It's actually a fun climb to do. The Grand Teton. Because mm -hmm. when I read that in your book, I thought to myself, she climbed Grand Teton. Because <laughs> I've been to the Grand Teton several times. I mm -hmm. looked up at it and I think to myself, how the heck do you climb these things? <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty jagged pile of rocks up there, the Grand Tetons are. And you've actually been up there twice. twice. Yeah. I love it. Have you ever been in a, pl in a, a place where you, that you, were, was really frightening that you thought, oh my gosh, this this could be it. Because I mean, like I do enough reading of mountaineering and outdoor things that people get it. Like even climbing Mount Hood, people die on Mount Hood all the time. People mm -hmm. die on Rainier all the time. Have you ever been in one of those circumstances where you thought, wow, this could be it? Yeah, you know, that's such a great question. I wish I could answer yes. Just for the adventure part of it, you know, like, and I was just right at the edge and it was about to fall off. I, I don't have anything like that, but, um, you know, I haven't, um, but that is not to say, cause I'll continue. I'm still climbing mountains. I don't, I, that's not to say that it might not ever happen. Um, I have been misplaced a few times in the wilderness, not on climbs, but misplaced and, uh, you know, going back and down, up and down the trail and getting off course and we well, even talk about that in your book where you talk on the John Muir trail yes you oh were on gosh. I mean which is another huge thing John Muir trail is no little walk in the park it's how many miles 211 211 yes. miles mm -hmm. you hiked it when you were 60 
62, I guess. 62, yeah. you had, it was kind of your gift to yourself after you retired. Mm -hmm. yep. Again, everybody, if you're going to retire and sit and read books or go fishing, throw on a backpack with Renee and go hike the John Muir Trail. So talk about with that one point where you said you were lost on the John Muir Trail. Yeah. You know, I did this trail. I wanted to do it by myself. I think there's real value to be out in the wilderness alone if you're comfortable with being in nature, in which I am. And um, I had hiked it before, hiked this section before, but for some reason I completely lost where the trail was going. And I hiked up and down this trail, keep looking at my map and noticing that this, the stream was on the wrong side and I couldn't figure out why I couldn't find the trail to ensure that I'm on the right side of the stream on the trail. And after about, I don't know, about two hours, I finally saw that the trail continued across the stream and I was taking a left on the wrong side of the stream. Anyway, so um, I had all the time in the world, but yet I was still sort of anxious about being misplaced. So then this is cool because it kind of gives, brings me to my whole intro to your book, Unflappable. Because um, the first thought I had when you talk about that being lost is like people being lost in their life. People tromping around and suddenly they've lost their way, they've lost their trail. And, and what advice do you give to people? Because you work with a lot of people about helping them find purpose in their life, helping them find direction. What do you, advice do you give to people who are, have lost their way and they're trying to find their sense of purpose and... And maybe that's the intro to what it means to be unflappable. But how would you answer that? And then we'll go to your book. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good question. I mean, it depends on the person, for sure. But it also, it's taking the time and not to be um, so anxious about finding your way. Like, right. it takes time to discover there's a reason why you've lost your way. You uh -huh. know, whether that's God saying, hold your horses there since this is Cowboy Jesus podcast. That's right. Hold your horses. Hold, hold your horses. Cowboy and, Jesus. <laughs> and, uh, you know, take a look at where you've come, from where you've come, and, and where you're going. Because I think there's value in losing your way. Yeah, there is. Because then you're able to sort of redirect yourself and say, okay, this is where I was in the past. Is this where I want to continue? Or do I want to take some time to really think about what, values do I hold now so that'll help me in determining what my direction is in the future. So value, knowing what your values are helps in making those decisions so, as well. So you would start by kind of some values, clarifications? Absolutely. How do I sit down? What is important to me? What is, mm -hmm. what is significant for me? Write those down. Be intentional about that. It's one of the things I really believe in is people have to be intentional about values, clarifications. Write them down. Think about it. Talk about it with friends and family. Good. Your book, Unflappable. This is such a fun book. <laughs> I had you. so much fun reading the book. Tell us a little bit about how you got to the point of writing this book, why the title Unflappable, and then we'll kind of dive into it. Okay. Go for it. Well, thanks. Thanks for reading it, too. That means a lot. Um, and you, you, for those of you who want to write a book, you can, because I doesn't... I'm not any special person. Uh, you just have to sit down and do it because everybody has a story, right? Everybody right. has a story. So um, unflappable. 
I had a hard time deciding what the title of the book would be. I did want to talk about my mountaineering experiences, what I gleaned about leadership from my mountaineering experiences. But the title came from my my first leadership experience with a mountaineer who became my mentor and role model in leadership. And I was off taking a group of women on a climb of a peak in the Wind River Mountains in Wyoming. It's called Petroleum Peak, and it was a little over 12,000 feet. And I'd already climbed it a couple of times. And my mentor sent me off with eight women to climb this peak. And those are the days where you had to tie your own harnesses and everyone wore army surplus clothing. And um, off we went. Well, we get to the base and the weather did not look good. And I couldn't decide, should we go up? Should we go down? People wanted to climb the peak, but is it safe? You know, is there going to be lightning? It looked really dark off in the west. And it took about 45 minutes for me to decide, no, we're going we're gonna to be safe here and, and, and retreat and go back to camp. And one of the women, and these women were half, twice my age, and a PhD from California said, wow, you're, you're unflappable. And I'd never heard that word before. I had no idea what she was talking about. I was 24 years old. And she, and she began to say, well, you were just, you just stayed the course. You didn't get anxious. You didn't get nervous. You didn't, you didn't ask any of us what we would do. In fact, nobody in that group took the leadership away from me. They allowed me to sort of decide and use my best judgment to determine whether we should go up or, or retreat. And so that's the title of the book because that was my first real that I felt like I was a leader when um, I actually made a really good decision for the benefit of the group. So that's where the title comes from. And then I share nine other mountaineering stories of things, good things, bad things, and um, just vulnerable things where I've made some big mistakes. And I say the mistakes that I've made, even with you know experience and background, I. I felt it was necessary for me to be vulnerable in the book because I think people learn from other people's vulnerabilities. And um, yeah, so it was cathartic in some ways because some stories, you know, were really, um, you know, heartbreaking. I mean, there's one story from your climb, I think it was on Kilimanjaro, where a participant, an arrogant doctor, if I'm not remembering right, died. Right. Because he wasn't paying attention. Talk about that experience. That was really that was a compelling story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It um, it's the first time I publicly talked about this story too, in a publicly meaning in writing. I, not that many people knew about this story because I, as a leader, I I had a lot of um, guilt from what happened because the whole idea of leadership in the outdoors is that everybody you take out, you bring back. And uh, I brought everyone back except for one because he died at the base of Mount Kilimanjaro. And um, yeah, and so we were out on a safari and when we returned to the hotel where we had left him, he had died the afternoon that we left for a safari. And um, it was just... Well, let's I, be clear. I mean, he was drinking, he was smoking, he was not paying attention to your leadership guidance. 
He was wanting to go off on his own. He was bucking against everything that you were trying to do. He was a difficult end of, like when I was reading the book, I thought to myself, what a jerk. You know, how can he be on a trip like this and completely jeopardize his own health as well as the safety of everybody on the trip? Do you have people like that who go with you? There are, but he stands out. Obviously. Yeah, he was. Because mm -hmm. he, he kind of tough. wrote the ticket for his own demise. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's take that into leadership. I mean, I'm in a leadership position. What do you do when you have people who just like completely go against what you think is important or the direction that you want to take a person up Kilimanjaro or towards a vision, towards something, and they're like digging their heels in, they're arrogant, they're rejecting your leadership as a leader... How are you unflappable with people like that? I think on hindsight, what I would have done with him is to hold him to the same standard as students. Mm -hmm. But because he was older than me, he was a man who, and I was a female in a leadership, a male-dominated leadership position, I allowed him to take the leadership away from me. And if it were a student, I probably would not have done that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, on reflection, uh, is hold everyone to the same standard. And I said, no smoking, but because he was a doctor and highly respected in my community, um, it was hard for me to say, you, you can't smoke on this trip. I, he, he knew that he wasn't supposed to smoke, but he smoked on the trip. So um, I would hold him to the same standard as a student. If he was 18 or if he was 52, and he was 52. So, um, yeah, it's, it's tough because the, you will get people who will buck the system because they want the freedom to be on a trip without someone saying you can and cannot do that. But in the essence, they jeopardize the health and well-being of everybody else on the trip if they don't go along with right. how the trip is run. And they put you in jeopardy as a leader. So, like, like, I have so much respect for really strong women leaders because um, I believe, believe they bring a, a real different perspective to life and to leadership than do men. Like, your partner, Eva, is the leader of the church council. She's such a dynamic person, such a strong leader. I really respect that. Do you think that, that, that women are often put in the position of men challenging their leadership because they're women and they choose to push away and take leadership away. Do you think that's a, uh, an issue that a lot of women have to face in leadership positions? I think so. It depends on the man, though, right? Mm -hmm. You know, because not all men are wired that way. But there are men, as well as women, I think, who can be wired that way. Or they're challenging leadership, whether mm -hmm. it's a male or a female. But I think uh, women, you know, I think it's getting better. I do think it's getting better where women feel like they're being supported by their fellow women uh, who surround them. But I, I think when, when women are challenged, it's, it's, that's where the inflappable comes in. Because women tend to be more emotional. Mm -hmm. And being inflappable means you don't put the emotion into whatever decision that you've made or any reaction that you have. And I think that's really helpful. Is this is these are the these are the policies, these are the reasons why. I think if you always explain the reason why behind whatever you're doing, that really softens people once they hear the why rather than just 
this is how we do it mm -hmm. and leave it at that. Mm -hmm. But don't you feel like there are sometimes in, in the outdoor leadership that you have to tell people, look, we're doing it this way because it's all about safety and I'm leading you and you have to do it my way. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Hands down. And if they don't, they, but, but as long as we tell them the why behind uh -huh. it, because of the safety, because of keeping the group together. Because um, if I'm with you in a group, I'd be like, oh, lead on. <laughs> I'd be like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. If, if you had to say a primary message from your book, Unflappable, what do you think that primary message would be about leadership? Leadership starts with you. If you can't lead yourself, it's going to be really hard to lead other people. So if you can't get up in the morning, if you can't be somewhere on time, respectfully, if you can't um, follow through or follow up or show up, then it's going to be really hard for other people to follow you and to be in a leadership position. So I, the primary message is starts with you and uh, leadership is influence. That's how I've defined it in my book. Leadership is influence. It has nothing to do with, well, I should say little to do with title or your position and the value of character. And one of the quotes that I created in the book was, Leadership without, or, or uh, character, sorry, sorry, influence without character is dead-end leadership. I think the value of character goes way beyond any kind of skill or intelligence one has. That will f help people follow through in their leadership. People by far will follow a leader. Can I say that? Confidently, I probably can't. But the idea is that leadership will end eventually when there's no character to support their influence. Oh, I so agree with that. Mm -hmm. you know, one of the things I really believe is that, that leadership is not about power. It's about relationship. And that leaders mm -hmm. who make it all about power are usually terrible leaders. In fact, ultimately, they're dictators, they're not real leaders. Like for me, the re what it means to be a leader is to be in relationship with other human beings, other people. And the whole sense of character of who I am and, and what I try to be and try to lead from that by example. That, so I really agree with that. I really agree with that. Okay, yeah. now I'm going to talk about your retirement. Okay. We, we started this and now I'm going to end with this. Okay. Because I just am so inspired by the fact that you have no finish line and you have started out you've quote-unquote retired but you've not stopped you stopped teaching but now you're in this whole new phase of your life so I want you to talk about how you reimagined yourself this whole next phase in your life and what you're currently doing and and how people can participate in the work that you're currently doing so talk about how you reimagined yourself thank you um, when I retired, I had somewhat of an idea of what I wanted to do, but I had no background. Um, I, I thought that being a business coach, a business coach seemed 
you know, easy transition from my coaching and mentoring as a professor to move that right into a business coaching profession. And it was, but now I had to go find an audience. I had to go find people. People, students just didn't show up in the classroom. So now I was becoming this thing called an entrepreneur. And at the time, I couldn't even spell the word entrepreneur. I didn't know if it was the U before the E or the E before the U after the letter N. I had no idea. I don't spell. So um, I didn't know what an entrepreneur was. And it was a navigational thing. You know, it's, I, I communicated with people who were, had similar backgrounds and and coaches and speakers and went to workshops, did some networking, finally got a website, thought about a book. I don't know. It just sort of unfolded in a way that I thought was enjoyable and um, meaningful and that I didn't want to stop. I felt like I had something to give back. And I've got a lot, I feel like I've got a lot going on in my brain and a lot going on where I think that um, I want others to sense or feel the kinds of things that I do. So tell us what you're doing. I mean, there's tons of stuff. What are you doing? Tell us about it. Well, I I am a, I'm a business coach. So I have clients who, and leaders and entrepreneurs in business that I coach on one-to-one. And then I also do coaching in group situations. I do a mastermind on the mountain hike once a month because I'm always going to have to include the outdoors in some way where I take leaders and entrepreneurs on hikes and we mastermind all the way up and down the trail uh, once a month and uh, the third Friday of every month. And then I also do a master class on my book, Unflappable, my previous book, which is Achieving Your Potential. Uh, I have master classes where people come from around the country and uh, international countries who virtually meet to talk about the book and leadership and how that applies to them and how they can grow and learn from other people in those master classes. And then I do some speaking engagements and um, have a good time. I'm ha- I'm having a good time. And when I stop having a good time, then it will either be a transition or um, I'm not quite sure what will happen after that, but as long as I'm having a good time. What advice would you give to people who have just retired? They've, they've had a full active career and then all it's like, okay, so they quote unquote hit the finish line and they realize they can't fish and read books for the rest of their life, that there's something they need to be doing. What kind of advice do you tell for people who like, they're looking for a purpose in this next phase of their life. What do you recommend? I think it's taking some time to think about what it is that sparks them, what triggers them. It could be similar things that they had in their previous profession that they can just take out and carve out something creatively that can be of, of help and benefit to other people. I always think there needs to be something that you, everybody has something to give other people. And what's the value that you can bring to other people? So if you, I think if you think about it in those terms, that that will be really helpful in designing what is it that I have that I can, that I can give to other people. 
And it could be some people turn to woodworking. I think woodworking is a fabulous. I thought maybe I was going to do that, but it didn't happen. But how you can use woodworking, working with uh, school groups, working with um, the home. I, I, I'm not quite sure, but how you use woodworking, for instance, if that's something that you want to pursue, and how you can be a benefit to other people. But I always think that there needs to be something that you're passing along to other people in whatever you decide to do. I think, you know, that's really true as far as like, like I've been doing a lot thinking lately about what it means to be a sage and uh, like sage, a wise person. Because I think, you know, at, at a certain age, like in their 60s and in your 70s, there's a lot of wisdom that the next generation needs to have. And how are you going to help pass your wisdom down to the next generation, serving them? Not like you're going to give it, you know, like everyone has to sit and listen to you, but how can you serve people and pass on your wisdom through your servanthood? So I think that's good. Cool. Mm -hmm. How do they find Unflappable? If I want to buy the book, where do I go? Uh, it, it's on Amazon. Uh, if you go to Amazon and is it on up, Barnes and Noble? It's on Barnes and Noble. It's an it's an e copy on Barnes and Noble and Kobo, and I think that's it. And then um, Amazon, a hard copy, or they could go to my website if you wanted an autographed copy. You can go to my website, and then I can, uh, you know, package it and sign it and send it to you. Um, but those are the two places, and I'm I'm happy to share the book with I, people. I have a Kindle version, so you can uh, you can put it on Kindle. your Kindle. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of different ways to read it. It's a great read if you're looking for an adventure to read about what it means to climb mountains and leadership. It is a good book to read. Mm. Renee, it's been great having you on the Cowboy Jesus podcast. Thank you for joining us. Any final word you want to say to people? No, I look forward to meeting people. <laughs> if I don't, if I don't see you at church, uh, uh, I'm, you know, feel free to come up and introduce yourself. I always enjoy meeting new people. Very good. Yeah. So you can read the Cowboy Jesus blog. I publish that once a week. Here's the podcast. I do a, a early week a message from my book sent to soar. I do a Wednesday midweek shout out. So a lot of different ways to connect. I'm on. Uh, TikTok, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, so I try to be present on all the different profiles. So let's, if you're listening to this, let's connect in all the different ways as well. Renee, again, it's a huge privilege having you on this podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Steve.